Okay, today is part three about um, shechita and meat-related things, and today's topic is going to be poultry. Um, so I'm going to start with um, nine ways um, that uh, shechita-related things for meat, for, for poultry, for oifos, is different than animals. Um, and the first five are halachic type, and they're the first, and I'll, I'll go through them. And they are the first is. Um, the isra the, the of chaliv, which is certain fats you're not allowed to eat, only applies to behemoths. It does not apply to birds and to chayas. And the terms behemoth and chaya are loosely translated as uh, domesticated and non-domesticated animals. Um, that's just a loose translation. Uh, the only animals we really know that are considered behemoths are cows, sheep, and goats. And and the only one we're sure is a chaya is a deer. Um, zebu, in this perspective, zebu are considered to be cows. Uh, and all other kosher animals, like bison, or for that matter, giraffe, or other things like that, are treated as a Suffolk, high Suffolk behemoth. Um, Amer- that's American buffalo, or European buffalo, are treated as fakers. So we're machmer to take out the chalev, because ju- as I just mentioned, there's an issue of chalev on, <coughs> um, I'm sorry, chalev on behemoths, but we also machmer for kisetam, we're going to talk about in a second. Okay? So birds, as I said, don't have any chalev that's also hunt about them. Uh, and the chute dam, the blood, the, the bigger blood vessels that we take out of a, from an animal, base, basically don't have to be taken out from poultry. Um, so the only nikur type thing that's done in practice for birds is um, the wing tips are cut off because it helps the blood drain out better. Okay, um, <clears throat> number two, when a person does shrita, <clears throat> they should shech both simonim, the kana, that's a trachea, and the vesha, the esophagus. Um, but the ikra din is that for birds, you only have to cut roiv of one simon, and for the hamas and the chayas, you're supposed to cut roiv of both simon. Okay, number three, um, if you do the shechita of a chaya or a bird, um, you have to do the mitzvah kisi adam, and there's no such mitzvah for behemoths. Um, the mitzvah kisi adam, you don't have to cover all the blood, you just have to cover some of it. Um, there has to be dirt underneath it and dirt on top of it. And when I say the word dirt, it doesn't have to truly be dirt, it could be anything. Um, uh, Anything in which something can either something that things can grow in, or something that the Torah calls offer, uh, and in practice, most shritas, most commercial shritas use sawdust. That's the most common thing to use. Uh, it has to be sort of loose and powdery, looking like sawdust is, uh, and it can't be in clumps. Okay, number four, um, we only eat birds for which there's a masari that they're kosher. So for us, that means is the common chickens that we use for egg laying, the white leghorns and the red Rhode Island reds, and the ones that we use as broilers, <coughs> we have a, we consider to have a masari on it. We consider ourselves to have a masari on turkey, um, certain ducks, mallard, pekin, and Indian runner, and certain geese, the white emden and the great tolus, I don't know if I pronounced that right, and a certain kind of quail, <coughs> the European quail, the caternix, caternix, um, a very specific kind of quail. Um, and those are the birds that we know we have a Masura for. The, those are like, <clears throat> we can only eat birds if they have a Masura. Um, in the United States, most pies can follow the assumption that for behemoths and chayas, there's no need to have a Masura. Um, you need to have a Masura if you want to know if it's a behemoth or a chaya, that we do, but not whether it actually is a kosher animal or not. And you just have to have um, the regular simonim, uh, split hooves and chewing their cud, and then you can know the animal's kosher. The last, which is, which is not so negated to us, is that Neret Yisrael <coughs> is a mitzvah to give Yisrael Chayim and Keva um, from behemoths, from, from cow, sheep, and goats, actually, 
until Kayan. That mitzvah doesn't apply to Ophis and Chayas at all. Um, doesn't apply to us, really, because we don't deal with it. We don't have to do that in Chutz. We passing that we don't have to do that. The minute is that we don't have to do that in Chutz Okay, those were five halachic type uh, differences between Ophis and other animals. And there's also, I, I have here four practical differences between the way they're shechted and processed. The first is <clears throat> that um, there's a general rule that if a chalaf gets has a begin, if you after shechita you check the chalaf and you find out that it has a begin in it, something uh, some kind of a nick or bump in it, uh, you know, <clears throat> then any shechitas that you've done since the last time you checked that chalaf and then it was clean and it was good are puzzle. So the, the animals, whatever shecht, everything you shechted until since the last time is considered to be treif or nevela. So, because of that, every time you shecht an animal, um, when they finish the shechita, they check the chalav to make sure that the animal was real kosher. Okay? Sometimes with dakas, um, they, they check only every few animals. But they check basically after every animal to make, because if, if it has a begima in it, then the animal that you just shechted is going to be treif. So you don't want to do that after many animals. You do it after every single one to make sure the animal is kosher. But when birds are shechted commercially, then they, they will check it only every 5-10 minutes. Forget about every 5-10 birds. I mean, dozens of birds have had shechita before they get shechted again. And there's two reasons for that. One is that it's pretty uncommon that shechita of a bird will lead to a pegima. Um, it, it's, just, it's, a, it's a simpler shechita. There's, there's less chances of getting pegima. And second is that um, it's worth it for a commercial shechita that they should once in a while, maybe, you know, maybe once a day, have to throw out 100 birds Rather than and consider them treif, rather than stopping after every single shechita to check the chalav, it takes time to check the chalav. Um, shechita of birds is really fast. Um, you know, they go to many of them every minute. Um, so it's a financial decision that it, you know, if, if once in a while it's going to happen, they have to throw out you know five or ten minutes worth of shechita. That's worth it rather than stopping between each one. Okay, so that's one difference. Um, another is um, <clears throat> typically um, birds have feathers on their neck, and they have to be removed before shechita. Um, sheep also have hair on their neck. Um, now, they, they actually breed some chickens specifically to not have uh, neck feathers because they don't want to have to deal with this. Um, that's actually especially bred for um, kosher. Um, but for cattle, you don't have to shave the neck. There's no such thing. Um, they, there's no shaving to do. But lamaisa, they do clean it. They, they don't shave it. They clean it, which is, and they, may, they comb it and power wash it. Um, all of that is to prevent pegimas with the knife. When, when the knife is going to pass through, if there's something there, that'll cause a pegima in the knife, which will make the animal unavailable. Okay, one, another one is that when you shecht an animal, um, you, you need to restrain it. Um, so for, for a, a, an animal, like for, for a behem or a chaya, typically that's in a pen or some other device that holds the animal still to prevent a drusa. Um, but for birds, um, that you don't need something so serious. And typically, the sheikha does it himself. He'll hold the bird himself. They do he go tvisa, which has to do where you hold the neck. I mean, you do a tvisa in a behemoth also, but he, he's literally holding the whole bird himself. Sometimes in a commercial facility, that'll be done with somebody else, someone not even necessarily Jewish, who's holding the, the, the legs and the wings. And then the sheikha just grabs the head and the neck to do, to do the shechita. And our last difference is that... Um, when you when uh, when you when you're doing malicha for a bird, then you have to pay attention to take out the internal organs like the kidneys, okay? So the salt can get all the place it has to get to. Um, 
you have to also make sure that the salt gets on the inside of the cavity. Think of a whole chicken or a whole turkey. The inside, you have to make sure you get salt on the inside. And also, when you do malicha, you have to make sure the bird is sitting in a way that the blood can drain out and it doesn't pool up in a inside, like in this cavity on the inside of the bird. Okay, all those things are not relevant to animals. I mean, you know, you have to take the kidneys out of an animal, but you're obviously going to, obvious those are going to come out before you do malicha. As opposed to in a bird, it's, it's possible to miss these kind of things. Okay, so these were nine differences, some halachic and some like practical, between um, how shechita and similar things are done for birds as to other things. Okay, now the next thing to talk about is um, trefas. So the, the basic, the rule is that anything that would make an animal a trefa would make a bird a trefa also. It's the same thing. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Halachas of trefas are, are, in theory, they're the same. Um, but in practice, um, the things that are common in animals are basically non-existent in poultry. We don't check lungs for, for, for sirchas in, in birds. There's no such thing. Their lungs don't look anything like the lungs of a, of a, of a cow. Um, but there are things that that we check for in birds that we don't check for in cows either. N- not to say that one wouldn't be a trafe in the other one if it was there, but in practice it's not really an issue. So we, the things we check for in birds are very different from what's checked in animals. Okay, so I'm going to go through the things that are checked in. Okay, and the, the first one is actually something that's not at the slaughterhouse, and that is that birds are given in, uh, injections, um, like, like little kids are, give injections to make sure they don't get certain diseases. And it used to be they gave those injections into birds that were just a day old or a couple of days old. Uh, and some places still do that. Some countries actually still do that. Okay, But nowadays it's much more common that, the, at least in the United States, that the, the injection is done into the egg before it hatches. Um, and both of these raise issue, whichever way you do it, into the bird or into the egg, raise issue into the egg, it's called inovo. Both of those method, methods have an issue that it might puncture the lungs or the intestines or some other organ that would make the bird into a trefa. Okay, so one part of that shaila is has to do with chuvas in some cipher about whether what happens if um, the person who's doing this poking is someone who has a skill and he knows exactly how to do it without hitting without hitting uh, a place that would make the animal into a trefa. Um, so can we? In which case do we trust the person to say that he did not hit anything that there's a problem? So that's a big part of the shilas have to do with how much can we trust somebody. Um, and so many poiskim are, are make on that and say, listen, if the person knows what he's doing, the person's a professional, uh, you can be sure, he can be, we can be sure that he did not hit the veshed or something else that would make the animal into a trafe. Others say that, no, we need to have a mashkiach tamidi, we need to put the injections into, when we do it in live birds, <clears throat> we need to do it into a very specific spot, um, they do in the th- some of those people will do dafka in the thighs is because there can't be any way to make it a trefa in that way. Um, so there's, there's different approaches when it's done into actual live birds. Now in ovo, doing it into the egg has a big advantage because it's done by a machine which is you know computer controlled, very well calibrated, and and there's no judgment over here. It does it do- what it does. It does really well and uh, again and again. However. The, the the downside is that the the when when they study these in, the injections being given into the egg, they find that as you go as the egg gets older and older, as it's, you know eggs they, they sit for um, as it gets closer and closer to when it's going to hatch, the, there's a higher chance of it hitting 
the chick or the, the embryo for the simple reason that it's getting bigger and bigger. So the, the, the bird that's growing inside, it's going inside the egg, is getting bigger and bigger and closer to where you're going to put the injection in. Um, so, for example, it, when they gave the injection at 18 days, at exactly 18 days, there was a 4% chance of hitting the embryo. At 18 and a half days, it was a 15% chance. And at 19 days, it was like a 30% chance. So it was going up dramatically. That's around when they want to give the injection. And it's going up dramatically. Now, the, the, from our perspective, we, we and the people giving the injections have the same plans, and, but for, with the same understanding, and we have opposite conclusions, which is to say is, for them, the, hitting the embryo is good. That's a, that's a, that more, make it more likely that the injection will be, that the animal will be inoculated. So they want to hatch, they want to give the injection as late as possible. We want to give the injection as early as possible because we want to not hit the bird. They want to hit the bird, and we definitely don't want to hit the bird. Okay? So um, it's sort of like a, a tug of war over here. So the, 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 some people made halachic suggestions why, it makes not, why it's not relevant if we hit the birds in, um, when they're in, inside because uh, maybe it doesn't make a difference if it becomes a trade. All kinds of things related to that. Um, Shaila is about what there's actually quite a lot of halachic issues as to whether the animal would be a trefo and whether it would stay a trefo, etc., etc., if it was hit when it was before it was born at all. Um, but the good news is, the prime lucky of the OU found out that um, it's true that about 10 to 15 percent of the embryos get hit with the needle, but the one the systems that are more advanced, bedafka will not hit the neck. It has to do with the way the birds are positioned and the way the needle comes in. Um, it will not hit the neck. Now, it could hit other parts that could lead to trephas, but the neck, from trephas' perspective, is more serious than other parts. Um, so, hopefully, hopefully, you know, the, the, the thought here is, is that maybe it's just, it's so uncommon to hit, to make the animal to a trepha that we could ignore that possibility. Um, one last point in this is, is that there are a lot of hatcheries that have were given guidelines by their hashkacha of this is what you have to do in order to do the the the, the injections. What what how what the, what the hashkacha wants them to do, like to do it only on a certain day uh, or a certain time, um, and it's worthwhile that the hashkacha should actually follow up on that, not just hand them a piece of paper, but actually be on top of them. Okay, let's move on to another type of shafers that they use for birds. Uh, and that is that there are lots of organs in a bird, or an animal for that matter, that if they get a hole in them, makes the animal into a trefa. Um, it's really hard to imagine anybody noticing a hole uh, in, an, you know, in a chicken's, I don't know, intestines or anything like that, any place that would make it a trefa. But the Ramos says anytime that the flesh looks like it's dissolving or rotting or diseased, then we we assume that there was a that there was a tri- uh, hole in that spot, and, and that's the, the, you know they're signs of each other, and therefore we have to be assume that the animal is a trefa. So, because of that, <clears throat> there'll be a baidik in the shchita who will look at a number of the internal organs, the lungs, the heart, the gizzard, the intestines. Just just a just a visual look at them. Just look at them and say, does this look regular and normal? Like for example. A chicken lung that's healthy has this dark red color, and when you squeeze it, it has like a spongy consistency to it. So that means the, the, a boy dig in some places will do is, as it passes by, he'll just hold on to the lung for a second, just touch it. By looking at it and feeling it, he feels, does this feel like a regular lung? Or is it? does it look 
amount decayed, you know, ones that like it's missing pieces or or dark black color or something just doesn't look right about it, then that animal would be um, considered to be a chafer. Okay, so for all these different parts, they're looking to see not the whole per se, but the the damage, the 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 rotting, the something like that that would tell them that this animal something might be a whole there. Okay, an another issue of chafers that there is in birds is that. Um, just like I mentioned beforehand about discolorations and things like that, uh, one of them is in the is the intestines. So what happens is like this: when a chick is inside the egg, um, it gets its nourishment from the yolk sac. The yolk sac is, which would be eventually a yellow if you have the yellow part of the egg. If it wasn't turning into a chicken, well, that yolk sac is outside of the chicken. But the way it connects to the chick, to the chicks or the embryo's intestines is through this little connector. It connects to the intestines, and that connector is called the Meckles diverticulum. Okay, got a long Latin name. And it's, in, it's, it's basically right in the center, in the middle, of the chicken's intestines. So what happens is, in, in a typical chicken, when the chicken hatches, um, it doesn't have to eat for a few days, and it lives off the re whatever is left in the yolk sac. When it, after it hatches, the yolk sac stays attached to the intestines, which is on the chicken, and then, eventually, this diverticulum shrivels up, uh, and it remains like this little tiny little thing sticking out of the intestines. Um, and you look at it, it looks like a, like, like a little bump on the intestines, again, it's approximately in the middle, um, and nothing, it doesn't cause a problem. Lamaisa, nowadays, um, farmers want to fatten up their chickens as soon as they're born, so they start feeding them food right from the beginning, and as a result, sometimes the bird stops in taking in the nutrition from the yolk sac, uh, and um, sometimes it'll become infected. Um, there are all different kinds of ways that it could look, which are fine. Uh, you have to have some experience in this, but the ones, at least the eyes that were problematic, were they, they ended up looking white, like pussy, and when you, when you slice it open, the slice opens the diverticulum, diverticulum you see that it's, it's not just... Uh, uh, some like something stuck in there, not a piece of food that slid into there, but there's literally you, you can't, you know, the skin is something's wrong with the skin, and then they consider those to be uh Nguus Hadakin, that the intestines have a hole in them, or Akshash that they have a hole in them, and that now will be considered trefer. Okay. Our, uh, another issue of oh <coughs> another uh, another uh, the a last issue of trefers, or at least directly to do with trefers, is uh and that is um, the, the, the muscles in a chicken's leg, in his drumsticks, control the movement of the toes. Okay, how do the muscles connect to the toes? There are these tendons, or chutin, if you want to call them, that pass through the shank. That the shank would be the end of the drumstick, the most narrow part of the drumstick. The Gemara says there are 16 different tendons, and as they go through the shank, they get, like, they bind together to the two where they come together. Okay, now if any of these tendons are cut, then the chicken is trefer. Um, and there's two ways you could check for it. Um, you, well, in practice, you could check for it in the end of the drumstick. That's one way to look for it. Uh, at the bottom of the drumstick, where they all come together, they could slice, make a, like a slice that, of a cut that's like along the length of the drumstick. And look into the, see if the if the tendons are all whole, or you could check it in the um, in the in the part that's below the drumstick, the part that we don't eat, um, the, like where the, where the toes are. 
um, they could check over there also, do a similar thing, make a slice over there also, and check the tendons over there also, um, and um, <clears throat> to see that they're all whole. Now, in Eretz Yisrael, um, having to do with the way they raise their chickens, it's very common that there's a problem when the tombs are eaten. Um, like, they, they say maybe 12, 13, 14, 15% of the chickens will have a problem. So they've been checking this kind of chafers forever. I mean, for, for, for a long time they checked it. Um, um, hmm. Okay, but but in, in in some places they have mashgichim who check uh, as they pass by because they they they're so used to how they look they could tell if there's something even from the outside they could tell excuse me if something's wrong with the chicken it's discolored or swelled in a way that it show, tells them that there's a problem and other places they actually cut open the the, the each of the legs to see. Um, uh, whether it's whether it's trafus. now in America, for, for until not so long ago, um, we didn't check for this because it was very rare. It wasn't a common thing. Um, but at some point, they did notice it. There was a problem. It turned out. It actually turned out in that case, it had to do with um, a change in the 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 shots that they were be, they were being given. So since then, hashkachas have taken different stands on how everyone has started checking the different ways of how they check it. In some places, um, they do a sample of each batch. You know, the, before the before the you know ten thousand chickens show up at the at the shrita, they'll take out a few hundred of them and check them to see if they're okay. Um, and then, you know, they'll, the, after the, they'll check them and then they'll check them. And others, uh, and others, they check every single chicken. <laughs> Different ways of doing checking for this tumors I the problem here in the United States. <clears throat> okay, now let's move to another thing, <clears throat> something called foie gras, uh, and that is. Um, for forever, for hundreds of years, there's been a big to do about something called gestuffed gens, um, stuffed, which means stuffed geese, uh, which is they take geese and they feed them, they force feed them for a few weeks, and the the goose becomes really fatty. Um, and people used to do this because they wanted the fat, they wanted the fat that the schmaltz from from this from these geese for cooking. Okay, that's what people used to do with it, and I'm going to tell you in a second what the shilos are. But the people used to do that. Um, and it was a, a to-do whether that was mutter or not. Um, nowadays, they actually aren't doing it for the fat. It's not common that people are cooking with that fat, but they do it because the, they want the liver, um, the fatty liver that comes from this. It has an off-white color, and it's called foie gras, which is a French word for fat liver, uh, <clears throat> and it's considered a de- delicacy, and there's four issues to think about, and I'm going to just mention them briefly. Well, first is um, that it used to be that the, the that foie gras, well, this kind of thing was made from stuffed geese, as I've been mentioning, stuffed gens. Uh, <clears throat> but in recent years, people have started using um, stuff, have doing it with ducks instead of with geese. Okay, it has a little bit of a different name. Okay, so the, as I mentioned earlier, we only have a masara on certain ducks, not all of them. And in fact, some people like to do with a mular duck, which we do not consider. Um, um, as, which we which we do not consider to have a masar on, so that that's one thing that that's not that's a uh, uh, not has nothing to do with the stuffing, but it has to do with the type of duck that they're choosing to use. Okay, the second is that it used to be um, that the way they did this, the way they force fed the birds was they took a took a metal tube and stuck it down their throat, and then just poured grain or some other starch down this tube, basically bypassing their mouth. They just forced it into their stomachs. 
or whatever they have, like that's like a stomach. Uh, it looked really awful and painful to birds, and many, a lot of people were concerned about Tsar Balichayim. Okay, so now there are people who say that the modern methods of doing this are not painful at all to the to the birds, and the birds love it and they're happy and they come back for more and more and they you know they don't have any problems with it. Um, and it could be that that would solve the technical issue of Tsar Balichayim. Lamaisa, it doesn't get away from the perception of the Tsar Balachayim. Because in the world, people look at fogra as something that's painful to animals. Many countries have even banned it completely. Um, so it looks bad. Um, so what we have to think about is, it, even if the technical issue of Tsar Balachayim is taken care of, we have to think about whether the perception of Tsar Balachayim is still there. It might make look rabbis look uh, like they're doing the wrong thing, even for giving Hashkar on it. Okay, now the, the third issue, which is the main issue that the person spoke about, is whether um, sticking a, something down the bird's neck causes a problem of Mkuva Savesha. It doesn't make a hole in, in the esophagus by doing that. Okay, so now I'll mention some of the parts that Shaila. Well, one is uh, simple. If you keep poking, uh, sticking something down the bird's uh, veshet for, for weeks and weeks or a few weeks at a time, are you going to make a hole? And that's the simplest question. Another is, what happens, um, the Ramah talks about maybe you should check the veshet after you check it to see if it has any holes in it. Well, but what about the fact that we have another rule, the Ramah says elsewhere, <clears throat> that we consider ourselves not bikim to check the veshet for holes. So, which one is it? Do we check or do we not check? And what happens then, also, we're going to do, we're going to check the veshet after the shechita. Well, shechita means you cut, usually you cut the veshet also. So, maybe you cut it in the place where there was a hole. Well, what about the possibility that um, um, what happened? What about the possibility that the 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 hole that they made on the first day when they were check when they were force feeding the animal has already healed by now? So when you look at it now, you won't see any hole, but it really had a hole, and once it has the hole and makes it into a trefer, can't become mutter afterwards. And also, for that matter, how on earth would you check it? What, what's the what's the way to, to check it? Um, so there's always been th- these kind of questions have um, have uh, been very serious. Shilas. Certain Pesachim say that you shouldn't use it at all. You shouldn't, you shouldn't eat these Gestapt again at all. Others, including the Ramo, were more makeable about it. So this, it's been a that this is a long-standing halachic childhood. Okay. Now the last issue is in a somewhat of a more modern issue, uh, and that is as I mentioned, nowadays the people want these stuffed geese not for the schmaltz of it. But they want it because of the um, they want the livers, okay? And that has a question, a costume question, which is these livers, excuse me, are white or they're off white. They're not red like a typical liver that you're expect you're used to. Um, so first of all, so so the question is, what do you do to kosher them? Um, it, the color doesn't change very much on kashering when when you broil the livers to get the blood out as. They basically stay the same color from beginning to end, as opposed to livers that are regular livers that are red colors. You see the difference in color, and also there's when you cast a regular liver, as you're casting, there's blood dripping out. You could see the blood just dripping and dripping out of the thing, and over here you don't see anything. You don't see any blood coming out. So how do you know when you're done? How long, how long you've done it for? Um, how do you know it's, that it's there and the blood is all out? But but a more even more fundamental question is is that the reason why <clears throat> people want the foie gras is because they want 
the fattiness of the liver. That's what that's what, it's, it's called foie gras. It's a fat liver. That's what they're looking for the fatty for the fatness. Well, the problem is if you put a liver over the this liver over the fire and you broil it, all the fat's going to melt away. So how on earth are you going to do? How on earth are you going to kosher this thing to make it um, to get the blood out? Went and still keep all the fat that's going to be into there. Okay, so there, there were ideas of doing it without a direct flame, maybe all kinds of things, but those are ideas that we would never do. We would not consider it to be acceptable when we're regular cashering meat, so why should it be okay over here? So, um, th- this at least seems to be the most challenging, serious issue that there is for the foie gras. Um, anyhow, but based on all these different issues, Rabbi Reese said that we should not do it. We shouldn't allow it into we shouldn't allow in stores that we give hashgacha to, because of all these different issues. Okay, now our, our last group of things we're going to talk about is <coughs> is um, shilas that people will get in a packaged chicken, which is to say is um, all, things we've talked until now. Most of them have to do with the, the slaughterhouse and not to do with the private people. But here are some issues that people might see. Uh, I'm going to talk about three different types of issues that people might see in a packaged chicken that they have in their house, um, and the first is like this. Um, if there's a, if an animal gets wounded when it's alive, and there's a, a, like a clumps of blood, it's called nitzrahadan, clumps of blood in the place, you have to cut the the meat in that place before you do malicha. Okay? You have to cut that spot out so that the blood can drain out. So, uh, lots of people will see when they when they buy uh, chicken that the drumsticks on the narrow end of the drumsticks, and sometimes you see the wings also, it's red. Okay, and the red looks like blood. Okay, in the kosher people, I don't know if this is a technical name. The kosher people call these red legs. Okay, because that's what they look like. They look like red legs. Okay, so sometimes it comes from the people in the plant being, you know, the way they deal with the chicken after the shechita. They 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 bang it against the the conveyor belt that it has to hung on to, um, things like that. Um, the question is like this: is is this is this an issue? So one reason why it might not be an issue. Is because Kenzai, the only issue is, is when it's nitzrahadam, when there's a clumps of blood, rather than just some discoloration, which is what's more common. Another thing is, is that uh, it could be only if there's a lot of blood, but just the small amount that we see is also not so much. So basically, in mo- what, what, what most people will see in their houses is not an issue, um, and you only have to get it out if it's more pronounced and a bigger amount of blood that's there. Yeah. Second thing is, um, <coughs> the, the, I mentioned before the Tumas HaGidim, if these gidin, if any of them are cut, the animals are trefa. So the Ramah says that if you see that an animal was a, an animal or a bird was wounded in the place of the tumas gidin, meaning at the bottom of the drumstick or the part below it, which again, we don't eat, but you, you see it has wounded over there, then you have to be choshish that the gidin got ripped. And, you know, let's let's say the animal was alive, you know, got whacked in the foot by by some by a piece of metal. Um, so you see a wound over there. So you have to say, oh, maybe that that also caused the gidin to be um, ripped. And that's another question people have about the red legs because it's it's in the spot of the tumas gidin. Um, and the question is uh, whether that whether should, should we say not because of the blood that we have to get that was a question of the malicha, but here it's a question of maybe the animals are trefa because the question is about the the tumas gidin were cut. And here the paiskim also say. Um, that you should not be machmir unless there's a really significant wound. Just they said, don't you know? Don't throw out food just because you see some little amount there. It'll have to be something more serious um, before you could say the animal's a trefer. Now, um, the the uh, I guess it should be obvious, 
but animals can't, can only become a trefer when they're alive. Once the, the, the shrita happened, it's too late. The animals, if he's not a trefer, he's not becoming a trefer. So if the, if the farmer uh, grabbed the chicken with a metal hook to get it into the, to get it back, in, you know, to get it where it's supposed to be, where he wants it to go, then we could have a problem with Tzumas But if we do like, a, if, if, if the damage happened when the bird was being hung on, on the hooks, or being put into a into a cone or something like that after the shechita, that's obviously not a problem. So the, a, a person with experience could tell the difference by looking at the at the, what looks like a wound. He could tell the difference whether are we looking at something that happened when an animal was alive, when the bird was alive, or after it died. Uh, and in fact, shechitas have a mashgiach who looks at the, the birds as they zipping by, uh, and he could he picks out the ones that look like they have a problem, like they may have been damaged um, while they were alive. And, and the color plays a big role into that. Like light red marks, or those are just on the surface, That's those are common of things that happened after the bird was shechted. So a little blood was still there, and it came out, and that's not a shayla of a breaking tumor, say, or something like that. But black and blue marks don't form if the animal's dead. It would only be, that tells us that this thing probably happened while the animal was alive, um, and, which, and it's, it was already starting to heal, uh, and that's so. Those would be more serious of an issue. Okay, now, one last group of things to say is about broken bones. <clears throat> uh, as I keep saying, if 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 a bone broke after the animal was shechted, it doesn't mean nothing wrong. Can't make a difference to us. But I'm going to mention um, four different ways that a broken bone that would happen while the animal was alive would make it into a trefa, uh, which are something just to bear in mind. And one is like this: the chicken a chicken wing has three sections. Um, the one that's closest to the body, if the, it's called the humerus, if it breaks within about an inch of the body, so on the part that's closest to the body, within the close, like about an inch or so, then the bird is a trefa because of a chashash, that the broken bone, the, the jagged edge, might have poked inside and punctured the lungs. So that's a very specific kind of a break. Okay, If any of the other wing bones break, the bird is not a trefa, but any meat from that point towards the outside of the bird um, and, and right around there is cut off and we considered if it happened while the bird was alive then the broken bone is as if it's as if it was separated from the rest of the bird before the animal died and therefore has to be thrown out okay if the drumstick tibia is broken uh, <coughs> then the chicken is considered to be a trefer because of a chashash that maybe the broken bone also uh, broke the tumor and if the upper bone in the chicken leg, the femur, um, comes out of its socket, it's called buka da'atma tishaf miduchte. That that bone that goes into the hip socket uh, came out of its came out of its place. The bird is considered to be a trefa. Um, typically, if that happens when the bird is alive, there's a lot of blood, and it's like a really gory and ugly. And somebody at the slaughterhouse would have taken it out. Um, when that really happens, it's 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 pretty noticeable. Um, and the same chashash of bukudatma, usually we assume that for the same, also if that upper bone breaks also. Okay, now just one last part about mentioning about issues with packaged chickens is that if a person picks up a chick, a package of chicken and in it has a bunch of different parts that are not attached to each other, chances are that those parts were not from the same chicken. Just They're in the same piece of styrofoam, but they're not from necessarily the same chicken. So even if it's determined that a specific piece is a trefo or some other kind of a problem to it, you know, some kind of issue, and you say you have to throw it out, 
that has nothing to do with the rest of the pieces that are in there. The other pieces are going to be perfectly fine. You don't have to worry that they became Trevis.